Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Right, here we go. Nice, um, nice one to kick off with. Three-year-olds this season. Well, where are they all, Lee Motter's head? Well, they're doing rather well in some divisions and not in others. So we had a King George in which, thankfully, we had three-year-old participation because that always enhances the King George. Anthony van Dijk clearly didn't run his race. Um, Norway, his double companion, was the only the three-year-old in the race. He actually ran a, a, a fair race, finished mid-division. Um, in the Eclipse, Telecaster was well beaten. Mm. On the other side, you look at the July Cup, and there were 12 runners, five three-year-olds, and they finished first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Mm-hmm. So we're always in that, in that period now where we do get these clashes. We've got the Sussex Stakes next week, when we'll see how too darn hot um, and Circus Maximus compare to the older milers, who aren't a particularly good bunch no. anyway. So you'd be disappointed if they couldn't put it up to them. But certainly over middle distances, it does appear that the older horses are holding sway. And it also underlines um, the, the, the great benefit to the sport when these horses stay in training. Because yeah. without the likes of Enable and Crystal Ocean and Wild Guys this year, some of those middle distance contests will be looking pretty weak. It would be thin gruel. So, Kitty, who is going to end up being the top-rated three-year-old this year? Is it going to be a Ten Sovereigns, a Two Darn Hot, a King of Comedy? Where's your... What's your hunch? Um, I thought Ten Sovereigns was very impressive in the July Cup, um, so he'd definitely be in with a shout. Um, King of Comedies really interests me. I saw him on his debut at Sandown, and he actually beat Phoenix of Spain into fourth there, and obviously Phoenix of Spain has gone on to achieve what he's done. So I'd be really interested in King of Comedy. It's... Um, it's a shame he's not going for the Sussex Stakes, but I guess when you've got the firepower John Gosden's got, you've got to split them up, you've got to please the owners. So I'd be interested in one of those two, I think, as leading three-year-olds. And the bell will go, but I will just defy the orders of this programme briefly, Jim, because there's a horse called Mahatha that everyone's forgotten about, trained by Marcus mm. Dragoning, and, well, he could yet be the best three-year-old. Oh, it would be nice. Uh, obviously, he had the injury after the Greenham, and uh, hopefully be back at the end of the season. Did it give you a good feel? It gave me a very good feel. Um, and it's such a shame Marcus prepared the horse beautifully and it would have been a real nice touch for him to have got, a, got another good one. I'll let you hold the ball as we move on and talk about the Phillies allowance, the sex allowance in Group 1 races. Should it be done away with, given what we've been hearing earlier on in the programme? Uh, it's a tough one. I think it certainly favours the three-year-old fillies. If, you, if you've got a big, strong three-year-old filly, and you've only got to look at the, 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 the Arc de Triomphe <coughs> over the years, mm. with Zarkava and uh, Trev and Abel, you know, it's, it's a massive thing for, for a filly to get that much am- amount of weight mm. off, off, a, off a four-year-old colt. It's, it's, it's hard to beat them. The data tells you, Kitty, that it's just not really fair at the top level. Yeah. So why do we have it, do you think? Well, I guess you're looking at a neighbour, like she got the allowance when she was three, but she's the exception rather than the norm. She you knows she's a brilliant filly, she's done everything supremely well, but there are other fillies, I guess, who would benefit from that, as it's sort of, they're obviously not quite like her. But I think, it, I think it's quite important to keep it, but it'd be interesting to see what would happen without it. To keep it, to, to encourage that, uh, the, the participation of fillies in, in top-class races. I mean, in this country, it's the norm. Yeah. In America, for example, it's not the norm for fillies to race against Colts. No, I mean, as you go through the American year now, you'd love to see the best fillies and mares taking part in the, 
the British Cup Classic, for example, which yeah. you do get the Zenyatas that do that. The odd one, yeah. Yeah, but generally they're heading towards the distaff because that's that's their programme. I mean, it's there for the greater good as well, in the sense that I think if you look across the whole, the whole, the whole, the, the, two, two, the two sexes, that generally the people would say that on, on the whole, the, the physical attributes of the Phillies and Mares relative to the Colts and Geldings put them at a disadvantage. It's when you get to the top of the pyramid that there's a problem. And you also have this, this strange contradiction of, you know, when every year when we get to the end of year rankings and the, the, the Longines do, where we see the table of the best horses, that sex allowance isn't built into those numbers. So it, it's a very difficult, a bit like weight for age, you're always going to have yeah. debates about it. And when you have an enable or an Annie Power uh, type horse over yes. the jumps, you have the same debate. We're talking about integrity education. The BHA's been on the front foot this week, releasing a series of videos which will help young riders and licensed personnel and those who work in racing just to warn them of some of the dangers that could be out there in terms of uh, you know, their livelihoods and their licenses. This has got to be a good idea, hasn't it, Jim? Because there's all sorts of pitfalls that you can fall into without realising it. For sure. I mean, um, look, when you know, you've got to be so careful nowadays because wherever you go as a jockey, you will get asked for a tip somewhere, whether it's somebody coming around to, you know, paint your house and say oh what would you fancy today you know you, will you have a winner and you know especially now Betfair came in you know and you just don't know who you're talking to sometimes and you've got to be so careful and especially people young lads working in racing where somebody might approach them and you know and uh, ask them about horses if you know working in a big yard and things like that and I think it's a good idea that people are being made aware of what you can and can't do and what you can and can't say um, it's a positive thing I think. And also if, even if someone is in, in a bar and buys you a drink you've no idea who they are and essentially they bought you, not they bought you but you know what I mean they've yeah. potentially bought something off you with that gift. Exactly and uh, like I said that the, wherever you, even walking out yesterday at Ascot you'd have people leaning over the rails mm. do you fancy this, do you think it'll win do you think it'll win and you know, you've got to be so careful, and mm -hmm. you know, you just have to say yes. I think everything will win. <laughs> it's been it's been quite a, pro a front foot week for the BHA, hasn't it? Quite a proactive week in terms of getting messaging out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they, they have to be applauded on this one. Um, the the videos that go with, I mean, in which your parties is very well played. They're clear, they're concise. <laughs> I'm not they're, playing a part. No, 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 you're, you're, you're presenting them. You're, you're on the and they're, suggesting they're, I'm acting. No, no, they're done very well. They're done very well. And I think it's interesting too because I think in some ways similar to the, the Bloodstock review that's been going on, there's a danger that in racing and in Bloodstock we live within this little bubble and we have our own views about what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes we forget what people outside of that bubble might think. And I think here... These videos are very good for saying, well, listen, within the racing community, this might be deemed to be correct. But if you look at the bigger picture, perhaps when you're talking to this person saying mm. this, you're not doing the right thing. Have you got a tip for us? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible tip, sir. What about the, the Arabians this afternoon? Uh, I... Uh, do you know what? If I ride a winner, I will be delighted, because I think I've, I've, I haven't ridden a winner on the Arabian day yet. Uh, um, hasn't Bradley quite. Frost on all the good ones. Isn't I she? think so. Yeah. <laughs> get 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 Jim's leg. Uh, heat. It's a joke, obviously. Um, heat this week. It has been very hot. It got up to thirty-seven degrees, thirty-eight degrees in the southeast on Thursday. We raced at Sandown. We raced at Newbury. Southall raced five races. Called off the last two. Generally speaking, Kitty, how well was the heat situation managed, do you think? There was a bit of... Um, BHA took a little bit of heat, no pun intended, for, for racing at Subtle and then calling off the last two. 
I, I think everyone did the best job they could. I mean, no one could foresee how hot the temperature would get. I mean, obviously there were forecasts, but um, just I was watching on the screen at, at the office and um, they were explaining all the pre-measures they had for everything for the horses. They had this shelter underneath so they could go in and cool off more efficiently. Um, I'm not so sure about jump racing in the summer. That sounds controversial, but just whether horses are actually used to that heat mm. and whether they can adapt to it that quickly. But um, I'm sure there's some scientific statistics out there that can sort of show us a bit more in that regard. Yeah, I think there was, wasn't really an issue with the flat racing. I think Kitty raised an interesting point about jumping in, in, in high temperatures, Jim, and you've had experience of both. Yeah, I'd agree with you to, to a certain extent. I think obviously the flat racing, you know, they're racing for a minute to two minutes. And I think when you're going three and a half miles with 11 and a half stone and you're back in extreme heat, it's, it's not ideal. Mm. Um, all the tracks were very good this week. I rode out of, you know, as soon as you came in, you were at uh, Newbury the other night. We didn't ride them into the winner's enclosure. We got off them immediately, walking down the chute, buckets of water straight over them. I think I've ridden in countries where are hotter, but the horses are used to it. Mm. And when you get a heat wave come straight in like this, the horses aren't used to it, and sometimes they, they can struggle a little bit. Generally well-managed, Lee, do you think, this week? Yeah, it was very well-managed. My greater concern wouldn't be so much racing the horses, it would be travelling the horses. Yeah. You know, you had mm. Southwell that finished at 2 o'clock, 2.30, which in, in theory looks a very good idea, but when you, when you have that, it meant that the horses would have been travelling in the very hottest part of the day, yeah. between three and five, and that, for me, would be the bigger concern. OK, I don't think we're going to get a, uh, that sort of heat replicated this summer, I don't think. Um, we'll move on to the Curra, uh, and this week it was announced that Pat Keir will take over as uh, CEO of the Curra, in addition to his role at Leopardstown, a man that we know well. Yeah. Uh, Lee and I think it's generally been re well received this uh, this appointment that he will take responsibility for both tracks for the time being. That will help with Irish Champions weekend for sure. It will. It's just about the first bit of good news the Curra's received in a long time in terms of PR. Mm. Um, for years now, the Curra has been a really troubled racecourse in terms of how it's perceived by the public and by the wider sport. For years people said the Curra's facilities were terrible, which they were for a major racehorse, and it got criticised for that. Then the Curra was criticised for continuing to race while in a period of major redevelopment when perhaps the Irish Derby should have gone to, to Leopardstown, so there's criticism there. And then the Curra has reopened. I've, I've got to say I've not been there yet, but the facilities sound spectacular, but the Curra has been criticised for how those facilities treat general racegoers relative to racing professionals and those who can afford to pay the most. So in bringing in Pat Keogh to replace a chief executive who has left in pretty rapid circumstances and is now on gardening leave, seems like a, a very good idea. He's a good operator. He has a big job to do, particularly when you look at Irish Oaks Day, had an attendance of only just over 4,000 people, which seems, and almost certainly is, pitiful. Kizzy? Yeah, I'd agree with Lee. I mean, something needs to happen. I think Pat's a good man to sort of take take the step up. Um, just the crowd attendances, that's a worry, and that's something that needs addressing, just 4,000. I mean, if you compare that to King George Day at Ascot, obviously different tracks, but it's just a concern. It also reflects the fact as well that despite having the most powerful racing and breeding operations in the world of horse racing... 
Ireland is not a country that is particularly interested in flat racing. It's a jump racing nation, and flat racing continues to struggle there. Which is which is quite extraordinary yeah. when you think about its its status as a power base, Absolutely. and where do all these great thoroughbreds come from in yeah. the main as well. Um, Nigel Adams is the new sports minister taking over from Mims Davis. His tenure was brief, but we've got a new government, and therefore there's been, well, it's not a reshuffle, there was a night of the long knives. And Nigel Adams is the man who's come in as minister for sport. Now, a, a senior uh, Labour MP who is a, a big racing supporter has contacted me this week to say that he feels that this is good news for racing. So that, for me, will do. If a member of the opposition benches thinks that Nigel yeah. Adams is a good appointment for racing, then... Um, let's hope that's the case. But there have been several appointments in the new government, Lee, that could be good for racing, but at least there are, there are racing-friendly people around. Yeah, it's certainly a government, and it's actually a cabinet now as well, that has an awful lot of racing fans and people in there with an interest in racing. The sports minister, the new sports minister, the third new sports minister in nine months, um, isn't someone I know or knew much of, um, but Nick Rust welcomed his appointment, um, spoken with someone with a real interest in horse racing, uh, Matt Hancock, who of course stood briefly for the Conservative leadership, mm -hmm. um, is still there as the Health Secretary and a, and a big fan of Boris Johnson. Yeah, he's a huge um, fan of Boris huge Johnson. Fan of he Boris was such Johnson. a huge fan, he just about managed Always to keep has the been. same job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got Pretty Patel um, in the Home Office, uh, not an entirely uncontroversial figure herself, but someone who has a big interest in horse racing. Um, you've got Rishi Sunak, um, who represents the constituency that includes Midlam. Um, in the cabinet. So you've got the, the guys who have Midland and Newmarket as their constituencies in the cabinet. You've got racing fans in the cabinet as well, which must be a good thing, particularly when you balance that by the fact that in his great address, I say great address in terms of its length, um, in Downing Street, Boris Johnson spoke of the importance of of animal welfare to his government. And that was an interest. It wasn't the sort of thing you would expect no. to hear a new Prime Minister saying in his first major address. It which ticked Nick the, vote, the possible vote winner box, didn't it? And we have to bear in mind that with, with horse racing and with the way this government and the previous government adapted their approach to gambling, that tick the vote box is something that will be constantly on their minds. Um, next and final point, announcement this week of the, uh, of the Saudi Cup, now going to be the world's most valuable horse race in the same sort of congested space for these big dirt races as the Pegasus World Cup in Florida and the Dubai World Cup. So it sits in between the two of them. Uh, can this be a major, major uh, part of the international racing stage in, uh, in that part of the year? They will offer the money, and the money's clearly there. It's a project that seems to have taken a while to, to come to fruition. It's in quite a heavily populated part of the year, in the sense that you've got the Pegasus World Cup and the Dubai World Cup, and now this contest. You can argue that in terms of European participation from our part of the world, even Dubai struggles to get the very best horses because it's a long year and they're campaigned increasingly with the autumn in mind. So Americans will be interested in it. It's not something that excites me, and it's not something that I will be rushing to attend, but it's, it's an interesting addition to the calendar. Especially given that it clashes with that uh, three-mile chase at Kempton on the Which same... hold far greater interest. On the same it. weekend that used to be called the Racing Post Chase. Kitty, is, that, is it something that um, you're interested in? It's an interesting idea. I mean, as Lee said, whether it will attract a huge number of Irish and sort of English competitors, that's another question. But it could set up like a nice bonus if someone went from the Pegasus to Riyadh and then the Dubai World Cup. But um, 
Yeah, you wouldn't it's mind just, owning a horse if you'd win yeah, all three, would yeah, you? Yeah, you'd be um, pretty well off. But um, I'm just not sure about the time, of the timing, and sort of just for European challenges at this uh, stage. Jim, you, have you ridden the dirt track in in Riyadh? No, I've never been there actually. No. Uh, what's your sort of feel about uh, about another race to add to the sort of international? I'm program not sure it's necessarily really needed, but um, if you put the money on, I'm sure people will come. Um, but like I said, you've got the you've got the Dubai World Cup and the Pegasus World Cup. I'm not sure how many Europeans will presence will be felt there really. But um, if the phone rings for Jay Crowley, I'll be there. Twenty million pound purse or dollar purse, That's he'll it. be there. Um, those were this week's talking points. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Basti Dubai.